Welcome to The Habit Queen. My name is Anya Perry. I'm a health and wellness coach for women entrepreneurs and high achievers. My goal is to help you thrive in the most important areas of your life, your health, wellness, and mindset, so you can finally get the healthy and fulfilled life you desire. If you're ready to build simple, rock-solid habits, get in charge of your health, unleash the power of your mindset, and reach your fullest potential, you've come to the right place. Tune in, and I'll be here to show you what strategies, methods, and tools you need in order to become the healthiest, happiest, and limitless version of you. Thank you so much for joining, and let's begin. Hey, beautiful souls, and welcome back to episode number 28. Lately, I've been prefacing my podcast episodes with, I have such a special guest for you. Hey, today is going to be another special guest, and she is one of my favorites in the world of ancestral health and nutrition. Her name is Marisa Moon. She is a certified primal health coach and creator of the online course Intermittent Fasting Freedom. She teaches the most flexible intermittent fasting lifestyle to help busy adults forget the rules and put an end to the confusion around what's healthy. She was named one out of 10 influential health coaches to follow in 2020. She's also a fasting coach for the Life Omic community, host of the Foundation of Wellness podcast, and writer for the Primal Health Coach Institute blog. Marisa is going to share such incredible knowledge with you today, guys. She is not only notorious for her intermittent fasting work, she is such an empowering coach, and I am super excited, stoked to have her on the podcast today. So welcome. Well, Marisa, welcome. I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. Oh, yeah, we're going to have fun. I'm happy you asked me. Thanks. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Bright and early. Awesome. So I shared your official bio in the introduction, and I want to ask you so many questions today. We are still, we're going to get, navigate this interesting topic on the podcast. But first, I wanted to introduce you, you to my listeners, and I want to hear more about your story. You and I got to work together last summit. You shared some beautiful, beautiful, valuable content with us. Tell us more about Marisa Moon. How, what was your background? How did you come to the point of coaching? How did you become a wellpreneur and educator? Yeah, well, it depends which part of my story you want to hear. So I'll try and cut a few short and you can ask questions if you want. But I found my love for nutrition in my 20s, my late 20s, because I was struggling with IBS and uh, embarrassing gut symptoms that I really just wanted to find answers for. And I found nutrition podcasts and these women were like, talking about how we need to eat real food like butter. And I was like, what? And then they were saying how people are allergic to gluten or intolerant to gluten and they don't know it or dairy. And I never heard these things before. And over time, it led me to the paleo world. And I learned about more about gluten and dairy. And I really decided to try it. And that giving up gluten really solved my, my leaky gut and, and gastrointestinal issues. So I just became so passionate about it. And meanwhile, I also was diagnosed with ADHD. And being diagnosed that late, um, first of all, it's kind of a relief because it makes sense of your whole life because you're like, oh, no wonder this was hard and this was hard. Um, but, you know, are mixed with shame and confusion about what that means for the rest of your life and how your brain works differently than others. And 
I kept learning about intermittent fasting from the paleo world, and I started to see how that could possibly help my brain, my ADHD symptoms, and that's what gave me the courage to try it because I was like, why would I ever skip a meal? That's crazy. I love food. Like, I don't want to do that on purpose, but, uh, you know, looking for answers for ADD long enough and being disappointed with a lot of natural remedies, I decided to give it a try because I naturally like skip breakfast anyway on accident often. I think a lot of people do that, especially when you're young. And so I thought, well, gosh, it can't be that much different. And sure enough, it was like just the extra energy and brain boost that I needed to get through that first half of the workday that was often a struggle for me. And meanwhile, I was always a bartender, except for my early 20s. I was an esthetician. I was a skincare specialist, a licensed one, but I got bored with that really quick, probably because my ADD. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, so even though I was really climbing up in that industry and I even got into medical osteology, I just kept finding my way into the bar and restaurant business because that's what my family is from, the bar and restaurant business. And that's how I was trained to become a bartender. So I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. My husband's like, you should, because I told him that there was a primal health coach institute that like just was founded. And I was a big fan already of Mark Sisson, the founder, following all of his information and books already. My husband's like, you should go for that certification. You can do this. Because I was already blogging my recipes for going gluten-free because I love to cook. And I just got some attention that was early in the days of blogging about things like that. Nobody was really blogging about anything paleo or gluten-free and really nutrition focused. And so the attention that was coming my way kind of gave me the confidence. Eric gave me the confidence, like, just do it. You're already learning this stuff like willingly, might as well get a certification out of it. And I started teaching workshops before I was even certified. And it all just kind of like felt so me, you know, it felt so right. And that was um, maybe three plus four years ago. I was certified three years ago. So yeah, it's been a journey ever since it was really my calling. So it's pretty awesome. That's incredible. It's a power, such a powerful and inspiring journey overcoming to and healing to such massive challenges health wise, but also it's life transformative in terms of your career, right? So mm -hmm. in a way, you're still sort of working with food, but you're working from a totally dis different aspect from mindset and habits and approaches. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. And uh, I'm so glad that your husband supported you in this way, because sometimes people, you know, not really encouraging yeah. like why would you change a career into blogging or mm -hmm. teaching but you found your passion and what were your biggest in this journey of quite a few years what were your biggest challenges and what are your biggest aha moments that you now carry and share in the world um, there were i think a lot of struggles at first which i see again in a lot of my clients that there's a kind of like an identity crisis when you have to change your diet in a certain way that can affect your social life or your, your usual habits, your favorite foods, things like that. And I really considered myself a foodie. I took pride in being someone who will eat anything. I was not ever a picky eater. I just appreciated everything about food. And so to all of a sudden be the person who can't have you know, the cake that your aunt made or have the pasta that your grandma made and um, can't share food with everyone at the restaurant family style because you can't eat some of the things that they've ordered. It was a struggle at first, you know, I had to learn what that looked like. It 
I didn't see good results when I would preach to them the reasons why this is better because that happens a lot when you become passionate about a new diet or new lifestyle or it makes you feel so much better. You want everybody else to do it. And so then you get on your soapbox and you're telling them everything that they should do and it just pushes them further away from you and makes you feel frustrated. And so I think those were the most early on struggles was really me learning what that looks like in my life now, how that fits in with who I know I am and how I can possibly still be a foodie who loves to eat anything, but can't have anything with gluten. (laughs) We're talking can't have, that's not how it is like panned out in your mind, right? It's not what you think on daily day, daily basis. I can't have that. You think about all the things that you can, right? Because you're not feeling, you're still feeling in abundance. Yeah. I mean, it depends I understand, obviously, that you're not supposed to say that in your mind, like, I can't have that. But at the same time, in some ways, it actually relaxes the tension between me and other people when I say I can't have it. Because if you say you don't eat that, or you don't want it, it makes it seem like you can't be related to or that you are making a choice because you feel like you're better than them or something. It's an unspoken sort of air of energy that is changes when you treat it that way. So if that's what you need for yourself, then do it. Of course, it it makes a lot of sense why we shouldn't tell ourselves we can't have something. But I tried so many times to have just a little, to have just one beer, to have just some, and I would be in gut-wrenching pain, like in a ball on the floor, crying, swearing I wouldn't even eat food again because the pain was so bad. And when you go through that, you're just kind of like, I can't have it. It makes me really Mm -hmm. sick. I can't have it. Like I'm not celiac and I am lucky I healed my gut. So now for the first time I tried something with gluten for the first time in years and I took gluten enzymes um, Mm -hmm. by bio-optimizers. They make gluten digestive enzymes. And I went to this restaurant with my family that makes this special high hydration pizza dough. So it's 80% water. And the other 20% of the dough is made up of organic um, wheat, rice, and soy. So it's a combination of three. And I don't usually eat any of those like flour-based foods, but it was a special occasion. And my mom got all excited, like, you can probably eat this. And I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I'm really scared. But I thought, you know what? I'll take these gluten enzymes and I'll only have a, a little piece And I'll feel better knowing that I tried it because I always wondered what I can handle and and I handled it just fine. And so, you know, that was a cool experience for me. Yeah, your mom probably was happy. I can definitely relate because I feel like this is the good boundary. And I know the words I can't, that's why I kind of picked on them. Can't stand as a like, I can't, I'm limiting myself, but I have to say I can't when I go back home because my family still doesn't understand my changes from being a vegetarian for 10 10 years and trying to shove meat onto my plate, you know, all of those things. But I think it's a great way to set the boundary. So if you guys are listening to this and you feel like you are really struggling with outings and family gatherings, you need to figure out the way or find a way, a thought or the wording that would work for your family to stand your ground if you're on this path to health. So I want to loop back to intermittent fasting because that's like a word word that sparks my attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> intermittent fasting, I call you the intermittent fasting queen. I always have a nickname for my guests. They don't know mm-hmm. about it and they discover it on the podcast. Let's talk about intermittent fasting. I'll tell you horrifying stories. I found the Facebook group that is a very, very large group and I can't be in that group for a Mm -hmm. reason, because I know a little bit, I don't know as much, nearly as much about intermittent fasting as you do. That's why you're here. But 
people do it in such a horrifying I know. manner. So let's talk about what intermittent fasting is. You should say the name of the group. I don't think you should be shy to say it because we want your listeners not to go in it. (laughs) I'll tag it in show notes in the most mean way, but I don't remember. I think it's a big group, 50K people. Just Yeah, because there's a lot from some really incredible uh, fasting experts who are really great leaders, but they have attracted this crowd that wants to fast just so they can eat whatever they want. That's the group I'm talking about. That's yeah. what I don't want people to do. And I want you to talk about intermittent fasting as a concept, habit, and a mindset shift, all three, because I feel like they're a little bit different. And how can it be done well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's important. Well, intermittent fasting, for anyone who's not totally clear on what that is, is just this on and off eating pattern that where you eat and you fast in the same day. And so it's typically under 24 hours that you'd be fasting. And the most common is around 16 hours fasting a day or 18 hours fasting a day. And that's overnight. So you're already getting a good eight hours just because you're sleeping. And you tack on a few hours before you go to bed, a few hours after you wake up and boom, you've already got yourself like 14 plus hours very easily. And the reason, well, there's many reasons it's booming in popularity right now, but it's been around forever. It's just a part of the human experience because before modern food processing, industrialization, civilization, when humans were hunter-gatherer type people, they didn't have access to food anytime they were hungry. They had to find it, forage it, or hunt it. And there were often circumstances like droughts or long winters or war that would leave people without food. And then even just on your average week, they might not be successful on their hunt. They might not be able to catch something. And so over time, our cells, our DNA have adapted to make us stronger and smarter in those instances so that we don't get too tired to catch food when we haven't eaten for three days. We don't get too delirious when we haven't had food for three days. We don't get weak We get faster, we get stronger, and we get smarter. And it's like exercise. It's just this adaptive response that happens in your body so that you are more prepared for the challenge next time. You lift weights to build muscle. Well, what happens there is the stress of lifting those weights makes your body think, wow, I better build more muscle so that I can handle this situation next time. And it's the same type of stressor called a hormetic stressor. And that's what makes fasting so incredible. And it's been a part of human's life for so long. And it's, it's not as scary or weird or, you know, just depriving as it sounds at all. In fact, people usually feel less hungry when they bring fasting into their life. Their appetite is finally under the control. Their cravings are finally not an issue anymore. They feel more energized and they feel more appreciative of food and mealtime, more aware of their habits, good or bad. Fasting can become a part of anyone's life very easily by just striving for a 12-hour overnight fast. I, I think that to some people in the fasting industry, they don't even consider that fasting, but we have to really take it into the context of modern life. Many people are never giving their body a break from eating for 12 hours at a time. I think that's the bare minimum everyone should strive for because if you think about it, there's so many things happening when we sleep that need to happen to give you longevity, give you better health span, fight off disease. And it's going on in your brain detoxification, it's going on in your liver. And the only way that you will use your own body fat for energy 
and lose body fat that you've gained is if you run out of stored carbohydrate energy known as glycogen, then your body has to use body fat for energy. But that doesn't happen if you're eating right when you wake up and you're snacking right before you go to bed. And it's just never going to happen because the body needs a longer break to work through all of that stored energy and start burning your body fat. So everyone's turning to it because it's easy to lose body fat. It makes them feel better and gives them more energy. It usually makes them stronger and it also helps increase longevity pathways in the body and really trigger these adaptive responses that give us better life. Yeah. Wow. And you guys don't, don't see Marisa. I can see her on video. She's absolutely glowing. And I feel like <laughs> she's going to be the woman who's going to age in reverse because of fasting, not only all the health benefits, but also the visual appearance and longevity. That's such a great re response and such a great explanation and detail how we are naturally and organically supposed to, I don't want to say it, but I'll say it's supposed to fast, right? Mm -hmm. But the status quo that we've seen in the last three, four, five decades that you have to have your meals. Kids have two, three, four, five snacks a day. And uh, the first question I get when I start talking to people just lightly about trying it as a method to uh, stop eating so much and constantly have those, I call them feedings, just like a baby. You constantly feed yourself. And people say, what, what, what do you mean skip breakfast? Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And how can I be without my snacks? And then goes into deprivation mode again. Oh my gosh, how am I going to? And I usually shift people. I don't know how you do this. I would love to know the mindset shift behind fasting because I usually suggest like eat fuller meals and just see and be curious how you feel. Because most of the time, naturally, if you're eating the right foods, and let's talk about this too, the right and the wrong foods, even though I don't label them this way, you know what I'm talking about, that <laughs> uh, they panic, they panic, like how, how I'm going to survive on without this, this, this. Yeah. So how do you feel addressing the mindset shift between feedings constantly and switching into intermittent fasting when you're actually not eating for a period of time? Yeah, it's a good question. There's a couple of things that, that we need to talk about here. And firstly, there's just an interesting fact that most people are shocked to hear that really busts the breakfast myth. And one of them is that breakfast, the most important meal of the day, is a marketing slogan made up by John Kellogg's in the late 1800s. The guy who made breakfast cereal, something no one had ever heard of before because it never know. existed. He said, how am I going to make people buy my new breakfast cereal? He said, look, housewives, you don't have to cook on the stove. You don't have to make eggs and bacon anymore. We have something that's shelf stable and crunchy and delicious, and you can make dinner in 30 seconds. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day. And so then it just became generational information, just cultural information shared, and nobody even remembers where it came from. And that's where it came from. So anyway. That's something made up by food marketers. But, and what's interesting, another fact is that breakfast is, the word came from break your fast, okay? But more interestingly, in ancient times, medieval times, okay, the, the only meal that people were eating was called dinner in Old French, which is really like dinner, which meant the principal meal of the day. Because at those times, there really was only one major meal of the day. And that was eaten during daylight, but like in the middle of the day. And they noticed like societally that people who were weak or wretched or sick or old 
had to eat early in the morning because they could not last until it was time for the main meal. And that's when they created the term breakfast to symbolize someone who's too weak to wait to eat, that they have to break their fast in the morning. And so that's where it actually came from. It was always known that it was a sign of strength and just vitality to be able to, to go through your day without that early sustenance. And so those are two interesting facts that kind of squash the uh, whole breakfast idea. But that being said, even in human studies, we see that habitual breakfast eaters may not benefit as much from skipping breakfast as someone who cares less about breakfast or isn't really in love with having breakfast in the morning. And so what I would do in that situation, I usually don't tell anyone to fast if they're not interested, but what I would do is I would encourage them to just push their, their dinner time up earlier mm -hmm. because some people really like that. I think it's a lot harder, but that's because I'm, I was never a habitual breakfast person. If someone's usually over 60, they, they love eating their dinner early and they find that much easier and they look forward to their breakfast. It's like, you know, they feel like it's like their favorite part of the day. So I wouldn't take that away from someone and try to convince them not to eat it. I would really look at doing the early time restricted eating or squeezing their meals to end before 6 p.m. so they can get a good four hours at least before they go to sleep. Um, even better if it was earlier, you know, it would be it would be a, a good strategy. Yeah, well, first of all, those are fascinating facts, I didn't know, that's pretty cool to know. And second of all, let's all become early birds and have those special discounts at restaurants. Yeah. <laughs> so that's gonna be a lot of fun to see. Let's talk about the second part of the problem. I feel like it is a challenge and that's um, as a health coach, as a person who coaches people and I get questions all the time about this, the dirty way and the clean way is just as well, I call it for the sake of simplicity just like with keto dirty and the good way, the right way. Can you explain us how it can be done well and when and how you can get the most benefits from intermittent fasting? I think like officially the dirty fasting is when you're having anything but water or black coffee or plain tea during your fasting window. Mm -hmm. And some people would even say anything but water. But to me, especially you just gave that example of dirty keto versus clean keto. To me, dirty fasting would mean you're eating like crap and then you're fasting to make up for the mess you just made. But that's not really what it means. Um, mm -hmm. The woman who came up with that, I believe was Jen Stevens. And she just explains that there are certain people, you know, it's not a very big percentage of people who try fasting, but there are people who cannot achieve the results they want to achieve with fasting if they are consuming any type of calories during their fasting window. The mm -hmm. type of fasting that I teach helps everyone get into it much more easily because I encourage them to have things like bulletproof coffee during their fast. I've been doing bulletproof fasting for the majority of the six years I've been fasting, I've been teaching hundreds of people to do it that way. At this point, it's probably been thousands, but there's been hundreds that I've actually talked with and I, you know, dozens that I see and hear their results. And I've never had a single person who is not making progress with this type of fasting. And so that being said, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, bulletproof coffee is coffee blended with unsalted grass-fed butter and MCT oil, which is derived from coconut oil. 
And because there's no protein or carbohydrates in there, it does not stop the benefits of fasting in the body. But it does provide outside sources of fat, which slows down the rate at which you're going to use body fat for energy. The benefit of it is that it makes fasting easier to jump into. A lot of people want to just start fasting, but it's not that easy to do because there's all these appetite hormones and hunger hormones and things involved that are on a rhythm with your old eating habits. And so when you change that all of a sudden and you try to just fast for 14 hours, let's say, you might find yourself irritable, exhausted, lightheaded, hungry, watching the clock every second. Mm -hmm. And that might make you want to quit fasting before you even got into it. And so I think that having a coffee, even with a splash of heavy cream, if you don't want to blend your coffee and make it the bulletproof way, I think gives people a lot of joy and satisfaction and helps them reach that 16 or 18 hour window much sooner, gives them the confidence they need, helps make it something that they truly enjoy. And then a few weeks into that new routine, when they're feeling really good about it, we can talk about the progress they've made, if they've noticed any difference, if how they feel, and if they want to take it the next level, they can. I personally can't consume black coffee without getting a burning sensation in my stomach and my chest. Mm -hmm. And I'm surprised because I I really, besides that story I told you about the gluten thing, like I have a pretty resilient system. Like I don't have problems with with many foods. I love spicy food. Like I, I don't really get heartburn ever or anything. So I was surprised, but hey, that happens to a lot of people I've found. Mm-hmm. So maybe black coffee is not in the cards for you. That doesn't mean you have to quit coffee altogether. You know, I teach people different ways to, to play around with this. And sometimes just a teaspoon of MCT oil blended with your coffee, which is what I do a lot of the times now, is perfect because it's enough to coat the stomach so that you're not getting that burning sensation. It's only a teaspoon of fats that we actually don't even absorb. It's just quickly turned into ketones, into energy. So you feel a little bit more energized and clear headed. And it's satiating. So you're more likely to be able to fast a little bit longer and, and still get all the same benefits. So I guess that's dirty fasting, but it works for a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah. But also how about those things? And I absolutely agree with you. The transition can be so overwhelming when we start implementing, like people come to us too for weight loss or more mind clarity or more energy, whatever the reason, but the transition period, just like with COVID or any other experience, experiences of this year it's very rough it gets really shaky and it's really hard and i love how you teach people just like slowly baby steps and i love because you know how big i am on habits and i feel like that it's a beautiful way to learn a new habit without feeling like i want to throw in a towel i'm not trying this again but the second question i have for you in terms of dirty clean i don't really distinguish between the two for me dirty is just like eat whatever if, yeah. if it fits your me macros too. sort of if it fits in your you know trash can that's that's where everything goes um, I'm being a little rough but I'm I want to ask you what do you recommend on eating the intermittent fasting way so you get those beautiful benefits so you're not as hungry anymore so you don't have the cravings so you have mind clarity more energy body fat loss all of those things Well, I think there's a lot of education here that really needs to come into play, but I I simplify it at first, just like bird's eye view with this reset method I came up with. It's an acronym. Reset stands for reduce your carbs, eat nourishing foods, start with 12 hours, extend your fast, and trust your instincts. And everyone can grab the free guide and learn all about my fasting method 
on my website. So it's marisamoon.com slash IF freedom. And just you enter your email, you get the free manual and then all of these coaching guidelines along the way, because there's kind of a lot to it, but let's break that down for a second and why I have it that way. I'm never teaching anyone from the start to go low carb like keto. That's a huge life change. And it's not even necessary for a lot of people. I just try to help them understand that the way we've been consuming carbohydrates in our society in our modern lifestyle is far too much for the body to handle. And because we're consuming so many carbohydrates, it's getting converted to body fat, which a lot of people don't know, extra Mm -hmm. carbs that you can't use get stored to body fat. And if you're constantly snacking or consuming carbohydrates and you're not fasting, there's no possible way that you will have a chance to burn your body fat. It's just not physiologically possible. And so the first step of my, my introduction to fasting is to reduce your carbohydrates under around 130 grams of carbs per day. And nobody even has to count them. They can if they want, and I give them ideas on how to do that. But just by cutting out your flour-based foods like the bread on your sandwich for one or two meals a day, you are for sure getting underneath 130 grams of carbs as long as you're not having dessert after every meal. You can have fruit and you can have rice with your dinner. You just can't have every single meal revolving around carbs or wrapped in a tortilla or fried or eaten with pasta. You just can't have that many carbohydrates and reach the health goals that you have. So I teach them to include more healthy fats and more protein because you kind of have to make up for the carbs that you're removing. And there is a learning curve there. You know, they don't understand how to even order food if it doesn't have a bun on it. Like, how do I find something to eat? And so there's plenty of advice there for you guys to grab. But the reason we do that is because not only because it's going to help you lose body fat, but because it makes fasting so much easier right now, if your body is literally addicted to carbohydrates, it's depending on them. That's the only source of energy it knows how to use. And that's why you get hungry every three hours. That's why you get crabby when you haven't eaten yet. That's why you have so many cravings and that's why your appetite controls you. So there's just so many rewards already just by doing those first few steps of the phase, even if you never get into intermittent fasting, if you just bring your carbohydrates down to something more reasonable for the human body and you eat nourishing foods, more whole foods, more foods that you really can make yourself or that don't have ingredient lists on them, then fasting comes so much easier. Your relationship with food becomes so much healthier. Your energy levels are so much better. And if you start with 12 hours, it's so easy that you won't feel deprived And you give your body all of the hormones involved. There's just so many hormones involved in this whole process. First of all, in every aspect of our health and our life and our living experience, hormones are involved. A lot of us think of hormones like they're just sex hormones, but there's just so many things like just determining your sleep and your mood and your energy and your appetite. And so if you don't reteach your body to work on a different rhythm, to have a different relationship with food, and you rush it too hard or too fast, it's going to make you feel bad. Fasting should should make you feel great. And so if the fasting that you try is making you feel worse, you're going too long or too fast and rushing things too quickly for your own physiology. And you need more time, a lot more time to work your way up. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Wow, that's so powerful. I feel like it's so also actionable and doable. You know, that I'm trying to imagine myself, like I've never tried this. I've been fasting for seven years. So <laughs> I'm trying to imagine like, I've never done this. How do I do this? And it's totally makes me want to do it. What about other other levels of reset or other components? Can you talk about them? A yeah, well, once you're used to like feeling good at the 12 hour mark, it's only natural to be all excited and want to try 14, 16 or 18 hours right away. Because if you start learning about intermittent fasting, you're going to see 16, eight, 16, eight is like the method that most people strive for as a baseline. But if you go from 12 hours to all of a sudden trying 16 hours, maybe the first day it's easy for you because you're excited about it. You're proud of yourself and it goes really well. But then the second day you find it a little harder and you're looking at the clock and you're like, oh my gosh, those last two hours were hard. And the third day you're just like, screw it. And you're like eating leftover pizza at 11 AM when you still have four more hours to fast. And there are so many reasons that that usually happens and it's because you didn't give your hormones time to adapt and you didn't take it slowly enough to work your way up to that. Because if instead you went with 12 hours and were feeling great, the, the next day you decide to try 13, I think that's an okay jump 12 to 13, but sometimes the, the higher we get, the slower we got to take things. So say you're like, okay, I'm going to do 13 hours this week and see how it feels. I want you to do it like through a weekend when it's hard. Weekends are hard. You're not like in the same situation you're in Monday through Friday. You, there's far more temptation. And I want you to do it at least four days in a row at 13 hours to make sure it wasn't just because you had a great day or you had great sleep because on a stressful day or a day that you slept worse, you might find yourself angry, irritable, lightheaded, any sort of symptom from going without food when you need it. And when you take your time and you hit that stride at 13 hours and then you know, okay, yeah, my body's getting with this rhythm. Then you try 13 and a half or 14 hours. Stay with that for four days or try it through a weekend. And then you work your way up to 15 hours. I work with the Life Fasting app the life fasting tracker, they have an incredible community and um, the app is really fun to use. And many of these fasting apps have like a little uh, progress meter sort of that shows you how much longer you have remaining in your fast. So if your goal is to fast 16 hours, this little progress meter is going to show you how much time you have left. And you just keep looking at it and looking at it and you feel like, you know, you failed if you don't make it to 16. But I have to constantly remind people, fasting for 15 and a half hours is like the same damn thing. <laughs> like, why are you being so hard on yourself? And especially when people try to do 24-hour fasts or longer. They're so hard on themselves that they break the fast 22 hours. I'm like, let's think about really what the difference is. Is there much of a difference? And what are you trying to learn? What are you trying to do? If you want to learn how to be better at fasting, you're not going to get better at it by pushing yourself and making yourself be miserable. You're going to make, make yourself feel better and be better at fasting by learning to listen to your body, by trusting your instincts, by going with the ups and downs of life and giving yourself that freedom to change your fasting routine. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make with fasting, both teaching it and doing it, is becoming so ritualistic with their fasting routine that they have to break their fast at the same time every day and they have to fast for the exact same amount of hours every day that doesn't teach your body as much as it can and it sets you up for disappointment when it's time for vacation when you have family in town when you want to your friends ask you you want to go to brunch and uh, when somebody wants to have a late dinner you're going to be like freaking out because it's throwing you off. And so if you, you know, there's actually a lot of benefits too physiologically. You will not have a body that's like, so um, what's the word, just comfortable where it's not adapting anymore. 
you want to change it up so that your body doesn't know when food's coming and your body's surprised that you gave it food and your body's not going to hold on to your fat or slow down your metabolism to start compensating for the restrictions that you have in place. You want it to be like, hey, I'm fasting for 20 hours this day. Hey, I'm fasting for 14 hours this day. Hey, I'm breaking my fast this day at 11, this day at two. I mean, that's really where the freedom comes in. I love that. And that's what the last P is trusting you in instincts. That's yeah. where it comes to play. I love that you are teaching it in such a actionable and realistic way as well. And just allowing people to find your footing because I've seen it in the industry where we're in the health coaching industry, people tell you do it my way, just do it my way or no way. And that's why I got really not happy about that Facebook group because people were saying, do it my way. That's the only way. And I definitely yep. can relate to the experience of sometimes I look at the clock. Sometimes I do 24 hour fast. I've been fasting for seven, six, seven years or so. And I'm like, I can't do it anymore. I can't do it, but come on, willpower, get together. And now some, some days I push through, some days I don't. And I never, I used to feel so much guilt about it thinking it's not good enough. It has to be that little tiny voice, meh, meh. 24 hours. It has to, you have to make it to the point or it's not good enough but today it's just so number people made up though yeah 24 hours versus 23 or 23 and a half it's like it's just a number that somebody decided was the next progression in fasting yeah so are there actual benefits beyond 16 hour point there are there are there are reasons to do that and Weight loss wise, you can achieve a, a lot of the same results with really consistent 18 hour fast, for instance, or OMAD is really popular. That stands for one meal a day, OMAD. And that's because people will try to eat their food in a three, two to four hour window. And it allows them to be fasting longer on a regular basis, but to still have their favorite meal of the day. And it just depends on the person. But really, if you're doing 24 hour fast, you're tapping into more autophagy than you would be at 18 hours. And autophagy is one of the most amazing benefits of fasting altogether. It's this cellular cleanup process that our body has in place to become more efficient. The body recycles old cells that are kind of junky or they, they're not needed anymore. They're not functioning well and uses the parts of the cell that are still good and or breaks them down and metabolizes them to feed other cells, to grow bit better, newer, stronger cells. Autophagy is something you really want if you're worried about loose sagging skin from a lot of weight loss. It will help eliminate that loose sagging skin because your body's gonna use those junky proteins and make them into stronger, healthier skin cells. There are plenty of benefits, but we see that the autophagy benefits kind of peak somewhere around the 72 hour mark or less, depending on the person. And there are spiritual psychological benefits to fasting longer than 72 hours, but culturally and biologically, there's not really that many benefits. And so I think that, and also I just want to say fasting for 24 hours, three times a week, or doing one 72 hour fast a week, are the same weight loss results. So you're not going to reach more weight loss just by doing that 36 hour fast or that 72 hour fast. If you like doing 24 hour fast, which I'd like to pause for a second and explain, it sounds like you're not eating when you have a 24 hour fast. But the cool thing is you are eating every day when you have a 24 hour fast. And that's why I like the 23 hour mark because Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example right now. Say I want to do a 24 hour fast starting tonight after dinner and I eat dinner at seven o'clock and I'm done eating, my last bite or sip of anything is at 8 p.m. 
if I want to do a 24 hour fast, that means tomorrow night at 8 PM, I get to eat dinner again. Mm-hmm. So if you want to do another 24 hour fast or continue on with that habit, that would mean the next night I'm eating at 9 PM. And that would mean the next night I'm eating at 10. That's why I like 23, 22, 21, change it up. And it makes it so that you can still eat dinner at a reasonable time and still stop you know, digesting food before you go to bed because you don't want to eat right before you go to bed. You want to give it at least two to three hours, depending on the person. Three hours is a really good mark. So I like to remind people, you're going to lose the same amount of weight if you're doing three 24-hour fasts versus doing a 72-hour fast. Unless you're really concerned about the like antiviral and, and uh, disease prevention, anti-cancer and uh, loose skin sort of prevention benefits of the autophagy, then I wouldn't really worry too much about extending your fasts much longer. And I, and I just want everyone to know autophagy is happening at all times in our body, even when you're eating like a mad person. <laughs> but the benefits are just really expanded upon when we are fasting for 18 to 24 hours and up. So There are some reasons to do that, but personally, I just, I love kind of the freedom of doing 16 to 20 hour fasts on a regular basis every single day and just kind of like, well, when I feel like having something, I have something because I I too have the same kind of uh, habits or urges to just, you know, reach for something when I'm doing tedious work or when I'm doing something I don't want to do. You know, we want to just reach for something to kind of distract us, give us a dopamine kick to, to take us away from whatever we're experiencing and to constantly have to have the willpower to say no to that every single day of your life is not being compassionate. It's not being intuitive, I guess you could say, because am I going to go have cheesecake when I'm don't feel like doing my work? No. And, and, you know, 99% of the time I'm not going to be having ice cream cookies things like that. But I, I, I have my snacks that I do like, like full fat, plain yogurt with paleo granola on top. And to me, that is such a fun snack that keeps giving, you know, spoonful after spoonful, you're really enjoying it. Or I will have the, um, chicken chips by wild. Um, they're still chips, but I mean, they're made of chicken mostly. And so they're kind of low carb and it gives me like that snacky kind of thing when you're doing work, you don't feel like doing, but I notice it becomes a habit so quickly. If I do that more than once a week, then I just want the chips all the time. So you have to really start picking up on your own tendencies and learning like, you know, what kind of rules, I guess you could say in quotes that you need in place to stop yourself from flying off the rails or going back to your old ways. Yeah, I love that. And I love, also love that you are keep referring to this surprise party. Surprise your, bo- surprise your body with things that are not monotonous and kind of throw it off a lot of it because I think we're creatures of habit and both good and bad. We get into the routine. We talked about it with you on your podcast and we get into this uh, wheel and we never get off it. So don't feel so harsh on yourself and if you're taking notes, definitely make sure to check the show notes for Marisa's guide for the reset protocol. I absolutely love how you um, summed it up. Now let's talk a little bit, shift gears a little bit. Um, I want to talk about your personal habits. What are the most nourishing habits in there? I know some of them intermittent fasting related for you, overall nutrition related or wellness related habits. I want to talk about Marisa more than about intermittent fasting now. 
Yeah. I mean, I'm not the best at habits, to be honest. I think it's an ADD thing too. Um, We don't really like doing anything that's too repetitive or Mm -hmm. predictable. We we like novelty. That's what lights us up. And I I have certain go-to habits that I turn to whenever I see certain things in my life occurring that I've learned from in the past. Like For instance, I recently went through a few short bouts of depression, which is an old part of my life. And when I see that kind of coming, I have these few habits. Like I have a best friend that we send each other voice messages each day. Like we have iPhones and there's like a little voice recording thing that you could send in the text. And we just send each other every single morning something good that happened to us. And it forces me to think about something positive and then to have a relationship with someone where I can hear their voice, which I was, I was really missing. And another habit was my five to 15 minutes of morning meditation right when I get out of bed. And I don't stick with that year round. I I have tried that many times and I I get so bored of it and I don't find meditation boring. So that's a weird thing to say, but I think it's just because of the anticipation is lacking. It's like, I'm not looking forward to it. So I don't do it. But I, I turn to that every time life gets too hectic, I'm feeling too much pressure from the stresses of life. And I, I learned a lot from stress less accomplish more a book because it's this really easy 15 minute mindfulness, meditating manifestation sort of combination that you can do very easily and feel great on the other end. And then sometimes I realize, you know what, even five minutes, even three minutes is good enough for me. Sometimes I want to use apps that guide me through the meditation so that I don't even really have to try or that if I'm feeling really crappy, somebody can tell me something positive to think about. I have a infrared sauna. Thank God. Like I'm just so blessed to have one. I never even imagined that I would have one, but it was something I wanted for years and years and we finally prioritized it and got one. And so that really, when I become very stressed, I will usually try to do that right when I get home from work. I can't do it too close to bed because ours, I don't know if it's the heat or the infrared, um, but it's too stimulating for me. Mm-hmm. It, it interrupts my sleep. I really love to, to use my sauna to help balance out the you know, imbalance of living a stressful, crazy life. And I take lots of supplements. I, I try to eat really healthy. Cooking is one of my habits and cooking out of obligation, I notice turns into something that is a source of stress, which to me is bonkers because I love cooking. I just freaking love cooking. But just like anybody else, if I try to cook when I haven't planned it out at all, and I just got home from a really long work day and I feel rushed, like I have to hurry up and make it. And then I have to do the dishes and I'm so tired. I just feel bad for myself. I just want to sit down like, oh, why do I have to cook? you know, and especially I'm cooking for my spouse. And so I feel like I have to do it. And so no wonder we are disgruntled. No wonder we don't want to do it. So instead I try to plan these cooking sessions that are like on the weekend, or I know what I'm going to cook on Wednesday. So I go buy the ingredients for it on Monday and I have written out the steps. Sometimes I have to do that. I went to culinary school just for fun. That's how much I love cooking. Okay. And At culinary school one day, they made us write down every single step and the time of each step that we were going to execute a full three-course meal. And so it was like, check the oven at this time and saute this at this time, chop the onion at this time. And I was, I thought it was the stupidest thing. But after I cooked that three-course meal, I was like, that was the smartest thing I ever did in my life, (laughs) especially for someone like me who always thinks they have more time and doesn't. And 
falls off track. But if you get overwhelmed or you're stressed or you're experiencing decision fatigue because you just had a long day, how glad would you be to just look at the paper like a recipe that tells you exactly what to do and when to do it? And when you love cooking or know how to cook, you don't often use recipes. But that little extra thinking ahead, like at lunch today, I'm just going to write down Okay, when I get home, I got to wash the celery. I got to saute the celery and then I'm going to salt the chicken and I'm going to start washing the lettuce greens and I'm going to, you know, next step, next step, next step. So that when I get home, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I did that. I don't even have to think right now. Just do it and get it over with, you know? Yeah, that's perfect. I never thought about it this way because I usually meet people that either are planners and recipe cookers or they're cooks <laughs> or they are not. You know, I never do that. Actually, let me try this. I don't know how it's going to interfere with my OCDs <laughs> and habits, but you do have beautiful habits. I don't know if they're routines so you feel like they're sort of rules for you or when you are intuitively reach out for them, either it's sauna or you know having a meal a bit earlier, things like that. So how would you recommend to my listeners to start wrapping it up, how would you recommend people who are sort of not aligned with their intuition and body and mind-body connection in terms of food, how would you prompt them to start getting better into this alignment with habits? Kind of shifting their mindset into creating, instigating change with ease. Well, it depends that where they're coming from. Like if you feel like you're in a place where you don't know where to start, you're almost like feeling ill-equipped or unprepared to take on the change. It intimidates you. Then you need to meet yourself where you're at and think about what you do know. Think about what you have done that's worked before. Think about someone you're close to who's done something that inspires you or interests you so you can learn more about it. And just play around with that for a little while to see what you could do. Like maybe, for instance, you felt better at one point in your life when you cut out ice cream and you were exercising a little more. And that's maybe the only glimpse that you have into a healthier living in your life at this point. Then maybe those are the places that you can start. You know you can do it. You did it before. You know you felt better. You felt better before. And once you get those tiny little wins, it's easier to take on the next thing. Like you might become more aware that it wasn't just ice cream that made you crave more sweets and want to eat more sugar but you finally realize, gosh, pizza does the same thing to me. Every time we have pizza, I'm eating pizza leftovers for three days in a row and I'm craving pizza two days later and I want to order pizza again. And, and so I think starting with, with things that you do know is a good way, but also like finding meaning in it somehow, you know, like in relationships or someone that inspires you, that's a great way too, because it can foster a relationship you've been meaning to spend more time on. And you have someone like a companion to talk through, someone that understands what you're going through. And a coach can be great for that if you don't have someone in your life that you can think of, because a great coach will really walk side by side with you. They'll, they'll help you see the own patterns of behavior that you keep doing that stand in the way of the life that you want. Because one of the most important things for change is to realize where you're at right now and where you want to be and what's missing in between. What is different? What's the mismatch there? Because if you want to be in shape, but you're not exercising at all, You don't have to start going to the gym an hour a day, but you know you need to start exercising. You know you need to start eating better. So what is one thing that you can do that you are familiar with that doesn't scare the bejesus out of you and start there and keep track of it? I mean, journaling or just little check boxes of your progress like habit trackers 
can be so helpful because you want recognition. You want somebody to notice that you're doing it. And you also, you deserve that recognition within yourself because how often does life just sweep us up and we don't even realize, gosh, it's been five days in a row that I exercised. You want to see those check boxes. You want to see that progress. Yeah. And I love that. I want to kind of repeat it and sum it up that between to you today. Now, if you're listening to this and you feel like I really want this in my life, this is you today, your current situation and between, between you in the future where how you see things, there's a lot of action. This is where you have to leap into action. And that's where coaches like Marisa can help you to kind of go along and cheer you on and celebrate your wins and wipe your tears. <laughs> so I feel like this is such an important thing that you do supporting people on this journey, because let's be honest, it looks very easy when it's done, but it mm -hmm. does not look easy when we are in the process of it, when we're doing it. So Marisa, I'm first of all, I'm so grateful to have you on this podcast. I feel like I want to keep you here for at least three more <laughs> hours and dive into the depth of everything of your teachings and your mm -hmm. So much value you're giving to us. I appreciate it. Uh, tell us now how people can find you, how they can be coached by you. What are your current, what's going on in your business right now? Where can people find you on the interwebs? Okay. Well, of course you can always find me at marisamoon.com and slash IF freedom is where you're going to grab that guide. My podcast is called the foundation of wellness where I really pride myself on offering a refreshing take on diet and lifestyle, one that you can relate to. And I share my own struggles there and client stories and, and just lots of great guests. So definitely check that out. I'm on Instagram at Marisa underscore moon underscore. And I teach on the life fasting app. We have group classes and also like impromptu like calls that you can schedule with me just on the fly. It's a cool community. So if fasting does interest you. You should check that out and Oh, gosh, I just, I always got something going on, girl. I'm, I'm doing <laughs> next level certification for health coaching, which I'm really excited about. We're going to dive into the psychological aspects of behavior change. And I think as coaches, it ends up being one of the most important tools and skills that we can acquire. And so I really want to build on that. And it's going to be an exciting time. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for being here. I absolutely love how passionate you are about not only intermittent fasting, but just propagating these good, positive changes, changes into the world and coaching others, teaching them, leading by example as well. Thank you so much for being thank here. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I truly hope you enjoyed it. If you like the podcast, please leave me a review or questions on the platform of your choice. Make sure to check the show notes for my social media information as well as my website www.anyaperry.com to connect with me. I can't wait to get to know you. Have a wonderful day.